Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy. We've got uh, a lot of uh, gun confiscation proposals uh, circling the country, both at the federal level as well as the local level in the wake of uh, recent shootings uh, here in Chicago after that uh, shooting that left uh, two dead at Mercy Hospital. Three dead, excuse me. Three dead, yeah. Three dead. The officer, um, the uh, ER doctor, and the uh, pharmacy student. Uh, There was a call for, there was a call to check people's social, or do extended interviews with family members. Yeah, and, and high school counselors. And high school counselors before somebody is allowed to own a weapon. Yeah, because the, the gunman in that case um, had a bad past. Obviously, he had made threats with his weapon, slept with his gun underneath his bed, made threats to his wife, a neighbor, some realtor. Um, but he was still able to get a FOID card and have a concealed carry permit. Right, because he had no criminal Because he had history. no criminal history. It was all in civil litigation during his divorce. And, and she, no cri- charges were ever pressed against him. And there's been proposals to uh, in California go back and check uh, two years of social media mm-hmm. content. Uh, and then, of course, Eric Swalwell, a congressman from Flo- uh, from California and a presidential aspirant yeah, for 2020. You know? <laughs> uh, he wants to just do a forced uh, buyback of uh, certain guns, confiscation. And uh, if you don't like it, he's willing to use nukes to take your guns away. So he said in his social media, hardy har har, for more on uh, some of these proposals and the direction of the discussion, we're pleased to be joined by John Lott. He is the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center and the author of a number of books on the topic of guns, the war on guns, as well as more guns, less crime. John, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, thanks for me. I'm glad you survived the snow. Yes, uh, barely. Uh, no thanks to Department, Illinois Department of Transportation, with which you're familiar, John, as a former UFC guy. Here, here's the the question about uh, some of what's being talked about now and talked about seriously. You know, the left is resuscitating the guns are a public health crisis. And so you have to treat a public health crisis holistically. And that includes not just looking at the individual, but uh, looking at the individual's uh, entire social circle. Again, going back to the suggestion to interview, interview high school counselors and family members to determine whether or not somebody can purchase a gun. Right. Well, um, you know, over 60 percent of the mass public shooters in the last two decades uh, were actually seeing mental health care experts prior to their attack. I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, within uh, like six months or so of their attack. And in not one single case did any of these mental health care professionals identify these individuals as a danger to themselves or a danger to other people. Um, And, you know, they have a professional responsibility. If they think that somebody is actually a danger to themselves or to somebody else, uh, they're supposed to go and uh, uh, report the individual to the police. Uh, That's the standard across the entire country. Um, and there's a whole academic literature on their inability to go and identify these individuals uh, as a danger. Um, you know, basically you're talking about generally people with mental health problems are 
are significantly less violent on average than the general population. And they're also uh, more likely uh, to be victims of violent crime. And so there's real issues about just the mistakes involved in um, in kind of just trying to take guns away from people that you might think possibly might be violent, that you're going to be wrong the vast majority of time when you try to do something like that. And, uh, you know, what seems to be missed out of this discussion is kind of what are the benefits from people having guns for protection and and the fact that if you err heavily on the side of uh, just, you know, just trying to be extra safe there, you're going to make it so that many individuals are not going to be able to defend themselves or their families. Well, then what, what can we do? I mean, I just feel like there's so many mass shootings everywhere. No one's safe anywhere, a hospital, a school. You know, a, a, right. a synagogue. It's just, what what can we do, if anything? Right. Well, sure. Well, I think there is something that can be done, but it's something, unfortunately, gun control advocates fight against, and that is trying to get rid of some of these gun-free zones, whether it be the Mercy Hospital uh, attack that you just had or the attack at the synagogue that you mentioned in uh, Pittsburgh or uh, the one in California. All these had something in common, that where they were all so-called gun-free zones, places where general citizens were banned from having guns for protection. You know, you're, you're in a state like Pennsylvania. You're able to go and carry your permanent concealed handgun, you know, 98% of the places that you can visit publicly. And yet, if, uh, if these attacks were random, then 98% of the mass public shootings would be in places where people were allowed to have their guns. And yet, you find over and over again, these attacks occur in those tiny areas within the state where people aren't allowed to protect themselves. And if you go and you read the diaries or look at other statements that these killers have made, they may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. They want to go to a place where people can't stop them. They know the longer it takes for somebody to arrive on the scene with the gun, uh, the more people they're going to be able to go and kill. And that seems to be their goal uh, time after time, to try to just create as much carnage or death uh, as they possibly can. These individuals want to go and commit suicide, but they want to go and commit suicide in a way that people will know that they were here. I wanted to get your take on some initiatives that are uh, sort of au courant right now and and generating support even from some Republicans and erstwhile Second Amendment defenders, red flag laws. And here in Illinois, for example, we had a number of legislative Republicans vote for for proposals uh, last year to add uh, uh, a uh, state and local licensure, uh, a level of state licensure a regulation to uh, uh, gun dealers, and so red flag laws and uh, and more at the local or state level in terms of licensing gun dealers. Right. Well, I mean, red flag laws uh, are that you can go without having to have a hearing before a judge to take away somebody's guns for some period of time. You know, already in all 50 states, uh, before these red flag laws, you're able to go if, if if you were relatives or somebody else and you believed that the individual was a danger, you were able to go to court uh, and there would be a hearing and uh, and 
you know, you could take away somebody's guns. You could take them away for long periods of time. Uh, the issue here is whether or not, without the individual even being present, without having to have a hearing, uh, you can go and take away uh, a person's guns or not. That's, that's a change. And in places like Washington State, Washington State was the first state to have uh, this type of law. Uh, now you're moving to the situation where if uh, if somebody else in the household uh, has a a charge being brought against them, the entire, anybody else in the family will also have their gun taken away. Uh, so you have a case where a, uh, a high school student, I guess a senior in high school uh, in Washington State, uh, had gotten into a fight uh, at school, and the local prosecutor uh, there is trying to use the, in King County is trying to use the red flag law to temporarily take away the guns from the father, uh, who I guess has a concealed carry permit uh, and has gotten threats because of his job in the past uh, uh, because of the presence of the high school student that's there. Um, you know, so who knows how far they're going to try to stretch these types of things. But, you know, if 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 you believe if the courts believe that somebody is actually a, a real threat to others uh there's a process that's already been in place and so the question is do you add this additional step where you no longer require a hearing uh to take away somebody's guns right rather than what you're suggesting hey there's a, if there's an adversarial process where you have the target uh, afforded the opportunity to defend himself or herself, have legal representation in a hearing, and the court makes a determination. That's one thing. But when you're talking about uh, this being one-sided and uh, uh, you hear uh, just the person from the person or the the uh, entity the that, yeah, the complainant, the, the entity that wants to take away somebody's uh, individual Second Amendment rights, that's a problem. That's unconstitutional, arguably. Well, we'll see as it works its way up through the courts uh, what what happens with that. I mean, I agree with you. It seems like when you take away somebody's ability to go and defend themselves, at least it seems fairly reasonable case to go and object uh, without having an actual court hearing. Is it your expectation that uh, Democrats in the House will move on gun control, try and do at least something to uh, signal to their base? Because, you know, last time uh, Pelosi was the speaker, they didn't want to resuscitate the assault weapon ban. They didn't want to touch guns. This time it seems like, uh, fast forward a decade, that the party is in a different place, and so Pelosi may be forced to move on this issue. Well, I mean, she's already said that they'll move. Other Democrats have already said who will be in positions of authority in the new Congress have already said that they're going to move on a number of uh, bills very early in Congress. Uh, I think it's maybe one of the top two or three things on their agenda. Um, so, you know, exactly what the bills will be and how many they're going to have isn't exactly clear, but it's it's pretty clear that they're, they move, they're moving on. I mean, you just had Michael Bloomberg uh, spend $110 million, apparently, uh, just on trying to flip the House uh, from uh, Republican to Democratic control. And, um, I mean, he spent huge amounts of money in some races. Uh, it was really extraordinary. I mean, 
uh, like five million dollars in one race that I know in Georgia, and uh, millions of dollars in, in other races. And so, um, uh, you know, he would outspend just his contributions itself would outspend uh, the Republican candidates by, you know, two to one or something. You know, right. And he's going to want and he's going to want the payoff, which is gun control. Right. He is. Well, and it's also the people he supported were strongly in favor of gun control too. So right. it just, you know, and he apparently spent about an equal amount in uh, state legislative races across the country, though he didn't have anywhere near the success. Normally, in midterm elections, uh, you have about twelve. Uh, you have twelve um, uh, state houses flipped. This time, they had six flipped from uh, Republicans to Democrats. He is John Lott, Jr., president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, author of a number of books, including The War on Guns and More Guns, Less Crime. John, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. 